Hello, instructional redesigners. I'm one of your co-hosts, Kara North, and I'm joined by our other co-host, Joseph Suarez. The Instructional Redesign podcast features stories and conversations about the modern learning design experience. Joe and I recently had a chance to speak to Bethany Taylor, a junior instructional designer at Ecom Scotland. We met Bethany through the training, learning, and development community, and we thought it would be great to chat with her because she's newer in the field and has some fascinating perspectives around the anthropology of learning. I am Bethany Taylor. I work for Ecom Scotland, and I'm a junior instruction designer. Welcome, Bethany. We're glad that you're here with us today. Do you care to talk a little bit about how you got into instructional design? My background um, is quite varied. So I have an undergraduate degree in biochemistry, and I have my master's of science in medical anthropology. And I always wanted to kind of go into... (laughs) Um, infectious disease uh, control and prevention and, and how kind of the, uh, the scare tactics get used by the media and things in infectious disease and realized very quickly that I would need to have quite a, a higher degree um, to be able to do kind of any type of research and then also ran out, quickly ran out of money as you do when you're paying for higher degrees. So, um, and also I wanted to stay in Scotland cause I had met my partner. So out, out, uh, with school, I just, I've done all sorts of customer service type roles. Um, and a lot of them had to doing like customer call centers. And in each of those roles, I would be an SME or a trainer or, you know, whatever they would have me do, um, content development, things like that. Um, and was finding out that in those kind of large customer call centers, I wasn't really going to be what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I wasn't going to get very far with that. So I, um, had a friend who worked at the current organization that I'm at, Ecom Scotland, um, in their quality assurance uh, section. And she said, Hey, you know, might as well apply here. You know, you, you have a lot of the skills. I had been learning HTML and CSS in my own time, just for my own knowledge. Um, and they took a chance on me. They like to kind of give chances, try to build people up in the field. And they did that for me. And so that's where I am. I'm, I think I'm 10 months in. Awesome. I think it's really wonderful that you work for a company that took a chance on you and you're able to kind of grow and flourish and seems like you're getting a lot of good connections and you're building a lot of skills. So that is awesome. And I'm really, really interested in your academic background, this anthropology. And based around this anthropology, what would you say, if anything, has influenced your design process with that background in anthropology? I think for the design, I mean, it's an it's influence kind of how I do things, how I view the world. So um, for me, anthropology kind of the way that it thinks it's, it's always trying to find the why in the house um, for anything that I kind of experience. So I'm that kind of person who likes to keep asking why, you know, I'm that three-year-old. It's like, why, why do we do that? Why? Um, 
So when it comes to the instructional design process, I think it, it it's good practice in general, um, but usually I want to kind of explore the whole story. So, you know, um, in my organization, um, there's kind of a level of account managers and things that will have had conversations before I kind of get into the story, but usually I'm kind of there going, okay, well, you're going to tell me everything again. Because <laughs> um, I like to know kind of what are the potential learners' motivations? Why do they need the learning? What's the environment around this? You know, why would they be coming to this and what kind of... Um, kind of feeling and also, you know, in what type of, like, if it's their manager making them do it, et cetera, because all of that kind of can come together. There's a lot of, a lot to be gained from that questioning to make sure that the learning is kind of, is going to meet them where they're at. With your anthropology background, I'm curious if that helps with SMEs and dealing with stakeholders in the sense, do you essentially have a psychology background? Are you able to understand people and their motivations better? I would like to say that yes, <laughs> but no. I think with my anthropology background, I'm practiced in taking a step back and looking at the whole picture and breaking that down. Um, so sometimes I can do that with specific people, um, but I'm, you know, I'm also human, <laughs> so. I have my own kind of skills in trying to learn how um, people work and what their motivations are. And, and a lot of that, when you know, people kind of compartmentalize when they, when they go into a work environment as well. So, you know, you, you see a little bit of a different self um, in that sense, as we're all just kind of unique people who have unique kind of motivators. Um, so I can look at kind of organizations' motivations as a whole, um, but when it's, you know, unique motivators, it can be a little bit more difficult for me. It's not psychology. There is a, there is a line. <laughs> Psychologists would be very angry if I said I was a psychologist. I think anthropologists as well, because I haven't done a research paper, would also be very angry if I said I was an anthropologist. Also, it it is a bit of a thing to say that I am an American in British culture, British slash Scottish culture. So it is a little bit of a learning curve of how businesses and things work over here as well. Well, it sounds like you've learned a lesson that it takes a lot of instructional designers a long time to learn. You're curious. It sounds like you have this curiosity. And Joe and I have talked about that in the past on our podcast, how important it is to maintain that curiosity and thinking about different things but I also love that you mentioned that you're very curious on you know why is this needed you know what are the learners needs and I find a lot of new instructional designers really kind of struggle with being an order taker they're kind of new to the role and people are saying we need this we need that and a lot of times they succumb to the pressures of the organization so it's really great to hear that you're already you know, this far in and you're already standing your ground and have your backbone and you feel very confident in asking those tough questions. So that's absolutely wonderful. Sometimes, um, even without, like, even if you went to an organization and, and you thought, okay, this is exactly what they need, they might not be ready 
for that, or they might not have the funding, um, things like that. So I think a lot of my role is trying to figure out, okay, where's their end goal? And then trying to find like the creative compromises to get them to where they're at now so that they're in good stead to be future-proofed. So I feel like there are some kind of compromises that get made early on. But, it, you know, it's it's all kind of within the same vein to kind of inch them along to that to that final kind of place eventually, you know, because sometimes you know, just in the way that people even change themselves, nobody changes usually overnight. So you just have to kind of inch them along, I feel like. That's a really good attitude to have about the kind of inching along, the constant improvement, trying to get to the end goal. So again, I'm just super impressed with kind of where your head is with that. I I just think it's awesome. Well, thank you. Switching gears, um, this particular podcast episode is going to be dedicated to culture of learning. And I really wanted to interview you because you do have this anthropology background. I wanted to hear your spin on it. So how would you define a culture of learning? It's funny because when I first kind of started looking, um, well, first started in this role, I kind of went, okay, so what, what can I start speaking about what do I know well and I think that was what I kind of brought up when some people started talking to me about like a culture of learning you know I was like what what are they talking about because in my mind it it means a lot more you know it, it kind of it's an overarching concept above kind of all society so it's like okay so are we is this within society as a whole you know that we're creating this learning culture or is this you know, can it be about it? Can it be? Um, I don't know, diluted down. But it's interesting. I found a kind of one of the the first anthropologist or behavior behaviorist um, put out kind of the, his definition of culture, and it's culture or civilization civilization taken in a broad ethnographic sense is the complex whole which includes knowledge, belief, arts, moral morals, law, custom, and any other capabilities and habits acquired by man as a member of society. So man or woman, because he was speaking in the 50s. So it's anything that has to do with the habits and the capabilities acquired as being a part of whatever society that you're in. So if we kind of condense this down into, okay, what's the society that we create Um, within kind of whatever organization that we're a part of. So whether that be a higher ed type society, which is a very specific um, focused kind of culture and society that gets created. Kara, you'll know about this. And then if it's a um, organization, more of a corporate environment, there's also that specific culture that usually gets created. And you'll see that within kind of the value structure that um, an organization will purport to follow. So I feel like when people, when we talk about kind of a learning culture, um, we are speaking of the complex whole of learning that includes your knowledge, your belief, your creativity, everything that goes around this learning as being a member of whatever workplace or um, society that you're a part of. So in that sense, it's kind of everything that you do kind of boils down to that learning culture. If, let's say, company X is wanting to build this culture of learning, who does that fall on? Do you feel like that falls on the instructional designers? Do you feel that falls on the trainees themselves? 
who is supposed to kind of perpetuate this culture of learning in your opinion? Ooh, you could get yourself in trouble asking that question. I feel like um, there is quite a, if, if you look at kind of, if you, let's say, Google the term learning culture with, you know, your lovely um, air quotes or what have you, you know, you'll see quite a lot of, okay, it's L&D's role or it's HR's role or it's, you know, it should be the people, you know, it should be the people doing the job every day. They have to like ha- be empowered to do it themselves. But I think if we, if we take culture in its purest sense, it, it really encompasses everything. It's everybody. It's everything. You know, it's that value system that moves everybody forward. So it starts out with kind of the value of this is important to us as a company that we want people continually professional development or we want learning to be inherent within every day. And then it has to be, let's say, moved on um, by everybody as part of that process. So including a kind of personal sense of, yes, I'm going to go and figure out what I need to figure out, whatever that looks like. I'm going to go learn something, whether it's Google or speaking to somebody who knows a bit better than I do. But it's also the managers saying, you know, how did you problem solve? Did you think about doing this? Um, And then even further up, kind of with L&D, providing those options for the learning and for the development um, to be there. So, Bethany, listening to you describe a culture of learning, it really makes me think of organizational development. Would you say that a culture of learning fits into organizational development or is an entirely different thing when you say organizational development can you can you define that for me sure so just the method of making sure organizations embrace change and expand knowledge and effectiveness to achieve whatever their stated objectives are i would say that the way that you define that then yes it fits in with that learning culture. So, I mean, when you're learning something, and I guess <laughs> there was a recent TLD chat that was talking about what makes learning l- learning outside of, you know, or what makes something a training object rather than just a general object. Um, but I think that that kind of, that flip over into, you know, this is learning is having kind of a, a gaining of knowledge or understanding that has to meet a specific objective. And so if this organizational development is doing that same thing, then yes, it fits under that kind of learning culture framework. So let's take it back just another level. I think what you're saying obviously has a lot of value and will resonate a lot with learning and development people. But imagine that it's not a learning development person you're talking to right now. Why does this matter? Why does it matter if people are engaged in kind of driving their own learning? Like at the core surface with your anthropology hat on, why does this matter? It goes back to, let's say, us people as, you know, cavemen trying to figure out how to survive for the next, you know, however long. Um, What allowed the cavemen to kind of venture out and to you know, to move from being just cavemen into, let's say, human beings was this, this nature of being able to, to learn 
from their mistakes, potentially, you know, and if you look into, I'll go that even further, if you look into natural selection, there's still that demand within us to learn and to adapt and to um, kind of increase our ability to survive and to flourish within whatever society or culture that um, we're a part of. And as part of that, learning is an inherent, you know, it's at the kind of base of that, that ability to kind of say, I've made this decision. I didn't, it didn't get the great results. How do I make the better decision? And because of the nature of the way that we've set up our society, we can now also learn from other people's bad decisions um, in order to kind of in- increase our ability to survive, if that makes sense. So that's what that kind of learning is. And, you know, you see that kind of throughout history in this idea of storytelling, um, where the stories are actually kind of allowing people to learn how to kind of not do silly things like, I don't know, put, light themselves on fire or things like that, you know, teaching children um, to move forward and to survive a little bit longer. One other question I have around this. Can you give like an example of um, what a culture of learning uh, looks like? Like if you've seen it at a other organization or kind of theoretically how an organization could set something like that up or even an individual, how they could foster one. I don't know that in my history of working at kind of customer service based companies, there, there was always this, you know, we, we want, we, we value learning and things, but there was always other things that they valued more, (laughs) you know? So it was like, Oh, well, yeah, but we actually value the amount of time that you're spending on a phone call more than, you know, your ability to pick up information. But I think in our kind of changing world, the focus will need to be on the ability to adapt um, and the ability to pick up new information and learn quickly and, and um, you know, kind of just within the nature of kind of software changing software and, and different coding languages and all of that changing, this is going to be very important. And I think it's something that as well, you know, everybody likes to talk about the millennial generation as being kind of this buzzword recently, but it is that kind of movement as part of our, uh, my, I'll say, <laughs> my millennial kind of generation coming out and going, okay, you know, we want, we, we've had to adapt and change. You know, we got out of school, we realized that we couldn't do what we would have wanted to do. Um, and so we've had to figure it out. You know, we've had to make it work um, and we've had to create new skills and and continually adapt those skills and change. Um, and so I think that learning culture is kind of everybody on the same wavelength with, you know, we need to keep ourselves um, up with what's going on and we really want to invest time and and focus into allowing people to continuously pick up the new information that's that's required to get to make them better and faster and stronger and all of those things. Yeah, I think especially on like a customer service 
example, I think that there has to be a lot of motivation for the learner, right? So I'm thinking back when I was in the call center environment, there were incentives for going through the different courses that the company I worked for is like university had and earning the badges you would get extra little rewards like extra time off the phone or extra break or something like that so I do think it's very important this kind of motivational piece. Nobody's going to motivate you if you don't want to be motivated so it's that kind of creating the autonomy and creating the the self kind of they talk about it as like um you know self-belief almost in a way to make sure that you're ready to be in that space to actually, you know, go out and seek the new information that you need to do. And I think a lot of the time in the organizations I've worked for in the past, I, you know, you kind of, you feel like you lack that ability. Well, when you were talking about call centers, learning wasn't prioritized over, you know, taking more phone calls. So I know that Call centers are one of the most data-driven jobs a person can have. Like everything you do is very quantifiable. Down to using the toilet. (laughs) Right, right. So let's say you're behind the pace on your average call length. You know, that could trigger something in a system to kind of pop up some type of help reference for you in the moment. Um, Anyway, I was just thinking of all these ideas to like kind of coach people through a call, you know, in the moment rather than, you know, a separate learning item that talks about what you do when you actually get to that moment could help you in that moment. That's where my mind was going. I think that is definitely, again, an ideal situation as well. I think if you're on a, (laughs) I think about if you're on a call for a call center, and, and something pops up and you're like stressing about how long <laughs> you're taking and something pops up being like, you need to be shorter, but we can help you. You know, I, I wonder if they'd be as receptive in that moment as well. That's my only kind of thought process. Yeah, I was thinking like less warning, more like, you know, in addition to knowing you're a little behind the pace, also knowing where you're at in the overall call process and being like, okay, well, maybe you're getting hung up on these common things where people get hung up on at this point and helping you guide you through it, you know? But I think what you're suggesting is something that's, again, more learning driven in in the full culture of it rather than, uh, you know, let's say results driven. So in in my experience, usually it goes to your manager and then you get kind of you know, in trouble, let's say. Um, but in that case, it would be a lot more of a positive. And also, you know, here, let's let's help give you some tips or let's help you find the best information to make your timings better. So it's that kind of learning and even more positive kind of scope on it that I think would be super ideal. I'd love to have that back when I worked for a call center. 
Yeah, even taking that further, I was thinking if you were on the phone in like frontline defense at a call center and something big happens, like let's say that a certain generation of a product won't connect to Wi-Fi or something like that. You've seen like three or four calls about the same issue, being able to alert your peers about it saying, hey, I'm seeing this. Is anybody else seeing that? And tracking that kind of in real time, whether that's in like a Skype or a chat room or something like that, I think that if that's incentivized for people, um, I mean, I think a, a learning culture would really take off because that whole idea of everybody is in this together and we're able to come up with solutions for these problems that keep happening. Um, yeah, I, th- I just think that would be really cool. When you say incentivize, what do you kind of mean by that? Is that kind of, you know, that external type of incentive or is that a bit more internal? Well, no, not necessarily. Um, It could be, but I keep thinking about, because again, if you've ever worked on a call center and you've been on the phone, I don't know about you, but I just thought it was pure hell. Like I hated my life. Um, (laughs) I just, I thought it was terrible and it was, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Like not even my worst worst enemy. It's terrible. Absolutely. But you know, if people were incentivized, whether it's being kind of like a a peer leader or even being recognized as a SME to where they would have a little bit of variety in their day. So maybe that person becomes an expert or is really good at identifying solutions to these common problems instead of being stuck on the phone for eight hours a day. And maybe they would have like six hours of phone time and two hours of chat time or or something like that. Something to recognize that they are trying, going the extra mile and really want to help others. That's kind of where my head was. It's funny because you mentioned that, like given that time. Um, (laughs) So I used to do that, um, but I did it in between calls. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So I created a, this, this is kind of what started the fact that I'm like, okay, I should be doing this for a living. Um, but I would create like, um, one-stop shop type pages, uh, in like a, in like a group one note for, um, cause I worked for a retail call center. So it was about kind of the different brands and what they meant and what they stood for and the common items that you'd see. Um, and then, you know, there were specific items we would have to sell and I created like lists of, you know, this is, if you're seeing these types of things in their basket, you can, you can add this or add that. We've been part of conversations in the past about who does the work of learning and development. Like, does it actually have to be an instructional designer? And I know that there's been folks that are are very gung-ho, like it has to be an instructional designer, has to be somebody with that skill set. But I know there's other viewpoints saying that, like, we're all designers. We can all help each other learn. So for a culture of learning to work, what do you think uh, that makeup looks like? Is that going to be more of an instructional designer or do you think it's going to be a little bit more inclusive of an environment? I think when you're creating a culture of learning, which I think is separate, not separate necessarily from what an instructional designer does all the way, um, but I think that is everybody involved in that process. And so it might not look based on you know your normal kind of instructional designer methodology or it might not look like you your um pedagogy that you see in kind of higher ed about learning or the theory behind it but your culture of learning is what is it is 
what the what that kind of like society that's being built absolutely needs at that time. So it might be a little bit more like information being passed down. It might just be kind of in the moment, hey, what about this type of um, kind of hints or tips. Um, but it has to be kind of built within that. Now, instructional designers, I think, have a, a very, I think, have a role in that. So what I mean by that is that they're the ones that can kind of look at it and are, are kind of there to look at it from a little bit more of an objective eye and go, okay, so how can we streamline this? And how can we, you know, organize content into the best method of delivery for these types of situations? Um, and I, I don't think they're kind of working against each other. I think it's a, you know, you have this overall kind of overarching thing, and then you have the instructional designers in that um, building it and as well as cultivating it. Where can people find you at, Bethany? I am on Twitter. Um, so I'm at um, E with a small E, com underscore Bethany. Um, I have my own website that I update sometimes. Um, BethanyTaylorID.co.uk and Definitely check out my um, my company ecomscotland.com. Uh, um, we have loads of examples of kind of the work that we do, um, including our own kind of authoring tool uh, that we use that's fully accessible in all HTML5. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the best way to get in contact with me. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just you know, reach out. Thank you.